the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Young man named Saul was there giving approval to, to his death. Um, we love being in crowds, don't we? We, we love being, uh, well, <laughs> no? Wait, okay, first of all, let, let's, sit, let's do a poll here. Raise your hand if you do not like crowds. Wow, the majority? I, okay, let's pray. Let's, we're done. We're, no, I'm kidding. Well, in any case, I enjoy crowds. Now, I get the understanding of not enjoying crowds when it seems like mayhem, like at a festival or fair or something like that. I get all of that. But the, the idea of being in a concert, you like concerts? That's a crowd environment. And, and you might actually be at a concert where you're in your own seat and it's not like open floor. I'm used to going to concerts where it's like open floor right in front of the stage and you just have people packed in like sardines. Um, and I enjoy that. I, I do. I, I think why I enjoy that is because when you're at a concert, you everybody likes the same kind of music at that moment. Everybody likes the same artist who's playing. There's like commonality among people in that moment. I used to love going to metal shows. That is a whole different ball game on crowd experience because you're not just like people like lifting their hands up in excitement and cheering and singing along. It's like people swinging at you. That gets very intense and very dangerous. And then you just kind of walk. This sounds really weird, but you know it's a good show, metal show, if you walk out drenched in sweat. <laughs> then you know that you've been in a good bar concert at a like metal show. That see, here's I'll I'll give you the craziest thing I ever saw at metal shows before. Have you ever heard of the Wall of Death? Wall of Death sounds great, doesn't? Wall of Death. It's where the band literally tells everyone to split in half, and then when the chorus or beat hits. Everybody just runs straight into each other. Insanity, right? And it's like the stupidest thing in the world. Now, now you're not, there, there's rules to the wall of death. You can't swing as you're running. You can't throw elbows as you're running. You can't kick as you're running. You're only, <laughs> so weird. You literally have to have your arms at your sides and run and just bodies hitting against each other. The wall of death, it's called that because people have literally died in the wall of death because you hit so hard that people will go down and then get trampled. It's, it's the worst idea in the world. I, I'm not in the front of a wall of death experience. I'm like, get, let, me be behind, let me be the cavalry behind the scenes, not frontline army artillery at that moment. But we love those experiences. Now, I, I love those experiences. But being in a crowd of that idea is exciting. Let me, let me jump crowd moments here for you. You like sports. Being in a, a, a sporting event crowd can be exhilarating and exciting and fun. Like, you know that because you have a lot of people that are excited and, and it's your favorite team and you this is one of the greatest moments of your life. You have a hot dog, you have a, a bag of chips, you have peanuts, and you're just enjoying life for those nine innings or that, that four quarters or whatever it may be. We love those moments. Like baseball's coming around, right? 
We've been talking about back to school, getting back into routine. Summer's kind of like the dead months for sports. But when you jump into sports, that's like fall is sporting moments. You jump into football. Football's coming up. You, you, I can't even talk. You like uh, NFL? Who likes football? Raise your hand. Man, this is going to be a long sermon already. I can already, I can already I can see this. Um, football is kind of eh. Baseball is exciting. Like, you playoffs. Like, I don't like to follow baseball through the majority of the season because it is a lot of games, and there are a lot of boring games. But playoffs are coming around. Diamondbacks are not in the playoffs. Um, I remember going to game two of the World Series in 2001. That was exciting. Seeing the Jets fly over, um, the place is packed. Of course, the Diamondbacks beat the Yankees 4-0. to That was something else. Well, FIFA's coming up. You guys like FIFA soccer? Like, I don't really follow MLS. I don't really follow soccer. Of course, I'm now coaching soccer, my son's team, which I grew up playing hockey, not soccer, but they tell me there's similarities, so I'm hoping that I nail this. Um, but I, I love FIFA because it brings so many different countries together under one banner in that moment, and it's exhilarating and exciting. Uh, I usually always go, to, go for Mexico. The U.S. usually stink, but Mexico, I'm, there's hope. There's more hope with Mexico than there is the U.S. Um, you also have basketball coming up. Basketball is exciting. Uh, I mean, Suns have been good for a couple years, right? They've been decent, but sports. Now, okay, we've already, I've already figured out that half of us, not even half, like sports. Most of us could care less, but there's about six different types of fans when it comes to not just sports, but just being a fan. Let's talk about fandom, being a fan. There's about six different types of fans. First, you got the fanatic fan. We've all seen fanatic fans, the ones who are, are going nuts, going, ah, and excited. They have the season tickets. They have the gear. They have, like, the, the tattooed logo of their favorite team with a spot hoping that they win, like, a championship, that they can put the date right underneath it. And they got the <laughs> bumper stickers, and they have the flags going off of the cars, and they got the, the license plates, and their kids are named Dodger, most likely. Like, those fanatic fans. Actually, not Dodgers. If, if, if you're from that area, you say Doyers, right? You know that. People are like, go Doyers. I'm like, I don't get it. But then you got the talker fans. The minglers, the talkers. Have you ever gone to a sports game with a talker? It's like going to a movie with a talker. It, it, it can be uh, something else, right? Because they're not there for anything of what they're seeing at all. They're there just literally to talk with people. They get their fix on people. And for, for some reason, they're not even talking about the team or the sport. They're talking about everything else. Like, did you see Sally? She walked her dog over to that neighbor's house and their dog pooped in that yard. Are you kidding me? That's nuts. We should really tell Sally to go pick up her dog poop. That's what's going on at the sports games with the talker. And then you have like the back row fan, the person who is uh, there just because they're forced to and most likely they're always on their phone and they don't want to be there. They don't talk to anybody. Then you got that fan. You also have the drunken fan, the ones who are obnoxious and they stumble and they, they fall over themselves. And hopefully by the seventh inning stretch or the halftime, they're asleep. That's the goal. They're asleep. They spend hundreds of dollars on beer and they spill it on everybody. They do. You got that fan. You got the couch fan, the armchair quarterback kind of a fan. The one who you walk into their living room and there's like sports stuff everywhere. Like in the Midwest, it's basements. 
basements become man caves, and it's decked out with whatever team they love, college team or um, professional team in the basement. But the couch fan, they think and they have this assumption that they're the player, the coach, and the referee all at the same time, and they want to break everything in their TV. They hope to tear it down, but they know that it's expensive and they don't touch it. But they're yelling at it, so don't get in their way. And then you have the, the no fan. It's pretty obvious, right? But no fan. I could care less. Not about it. That, that You have that fan. But fans, fans buy all the gear. They're all about the news and the, the gossip and the opinions. Um, and it might not, like I said, it might not be sports. It could be celebrity fans. You could be a movie fan. You could be a music fan. And guaranteed you're going to be keeping up on the news of your favorite musical artist or favorite actor or actress or whoever they may be, influencer. You can be a fan in that way. And then on top of that, you kind of go as far as to say, now that I know the news, I'm going to give my opinion and I'm going to give my bias and I'm going to tell everybody in the Twitter space. I'm going to tweet it out on how I feel and if that person should be traded or if that person should dump that person. Like, that's the fan, right? But the reality is that fans have no clue about anything. They know. They don't know most of the rules of the sport that they follow. They don't know what the game plan or the plays that the coach, or the coach is going to call. They don't know the physical um, breakdown that happens to a body by doing the sport. They don't. They don't know why does somebody kind of burn out at about 30, 35 in a sport. Why, why aren't they going to 40 unless they're Tom Brady? Like, why are they not making it past 40 into 50 or 60 years old in their sport? They don't understand the training that it takes and the mental stability that you've got to have to be an athlete. They don't know that. They don't know what those players are going through. They don't know how much people hate referees. Those people deserve their money. They are the most hated people out there. They are. They don't know what the coach is thinking. They don't know what is going on. And I think the truth about being a fan, fandom, it's a com complete illusion. It's an illusion. It's an illusion that you're a player. An illusion that you're a coach. An illusion that you're the referee. An illusion that you're the general manager or the owner of the team. An illusion. You get this idea by following a sport or following a celebrity or following a, a genre that you all of a sudden have credibility and that you're on the field with all these people. And no, no, no. It's an illusion, a complete illusion. You are nowhere near being a player. You're a fan on the outside assuming that you're in the game. You have a, a guy named Saul. We read that, that these people, they laid their coats, their clothes down at the feet of a man, a young man named Saul. Saul was a fan. Saul had the illusion that he was important, the illusion that he was valued, the illusion that he was in power, the illusion that he was of somebody of importance. But he had no clue. Here was a man, he bought the gear, he had the season tickets, he had the opinions, he had the, the bias, he had the content, he had everything going about him, but in reality, he was nowhere near who he was supposed to be. He had this Jewish idea that he knew everything that had to happen under the Jewish law and the, the, the godly religion. To the point where he thought that Jesus Christ did not belong on the team. That this man, no, uh, that he wasn't God, that he wasn't a prophet, that he wasn't a priest, that he was more just an outcast and, and a person who was pulling people away from Judaism. 
that was his idea. He was under an illusion of, an, uh, of a, being a player. How do I know this? How do I know that his perspective and his bias were clouded? That's why we're going to look at chapter 9. Look at verse 1 with me. Go to chapter 9, verse 1. We're going to talk about Saul. We're going to talk about this guy who was a complete fan. And where did his life go from there? Did it stay like that or not? It says, meanwhile, verse 1, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. How would you like that? First of all, let me start with that. Let me stop there. I thought about this the other day. Is um, persecution for the people who followed Jesus Christ at this time came internally. It did not come from people outside of their country, outside of their city, outside of their, their culture and their neighborhood. It came internally. Uh, Saul was so against the Christian church, the people who followed Jesus. He wanted to get rid of them, murder them, throw them in jail, uh, ruin their jobs, ruin their livelihoods, ruin their families. And, and I think about like us, what if somebody, because it says right here, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, meaning the ones who followed Jesus Christ, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. How would you like it if somebody who was a Christian or supposedly a Christian, the illusion of a Christian, goes to the president, the Congress, the judicial system, everybody in our government and says, by the way, the churches in America are following a false religion, false god, um, and, and they need to be eradicated, wiped out, annihilated. How would you take that? And what if our government gave them letters, this person letters, to have all of us taken out? How miserable would that be? Now, you might assume if it was coming from outside of the country, somebody coming into the country, but this was internally, this was somebody that they knew. This is somebody that they had experienced in the temple. Somebody who was a, a Pharisee of all Pharisees, meaning like a teacher of the law, a leader of the law. Somebody who read the Bible, knew scripture, who was supposed to be um, a mentor to them, was now mur like going after them to murder them, wipe them out. That'd be horrible. He was under an illusion that he was following God in this instance. In verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus. I am Jesus. How would you feel if you were in that moment? You don't believe that Jesus exists, or that Jesus not exists, but Jesus is the Son of God. You don't believe that he rose from the grave. You, you believe in the lie that somebody just snatched his body. And then all of a sudden, this massive light shines around you. You fall to your knees. And then the person who begins to speak to you out of nowhere, out of, uh, of invisibility, really, the clouds, the light, all of this stuff, all of a sudden says, I am Jesus. Well, Saul, in his mind, thinks that he's getting rid of everybody that is related and known by Jesus. And then all of a sudden, a voice is coming saying, I am Jesus? That freaked him out. He says, why are you persecuting me? Now get up and go into the city. You'll be told what you must do. Get up and go. Get up and go into the city. Let me 
let me ask you this. Jesus told Saul to get up and go. Do we? Do we? Do we get up and go into the city? Do we get up and go into our neighborhoods? Do we get up and go into our families and into our homes? Do we get up and go into our jobs and our schools? Do we get up and go into our grocery stores? Why do we just remain fans? Is that what we're supposed to do? Just to stay as fans? See, there was this conversion moment, this transformation moment where Paul, sorry, Saul, was going from fan to player. He was being called. He was being recruited. He was told, you are no longer going to be a fan. You are going to no, no longer have this illusion that you follow God and that you're about God's plan. No, 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 no. I'm transforming you into player. I'm transforming you into just watching. I'm transforming you from the bleachers. I'm transforming you into this idea and this false, uh, false perspective that you think you know what you're doing. And I'm calling you out of all of that. And I'm calling you into being transformed and moving and acting in the purpose that God has for you. I'm turning you from Saul, who is a fan, into Paul, who is a player. See, Saul had another name named Paul, right? We know who Paul is. Saul happened to be his Jewish name. Paul happened to be his Greek name. And in this moment, he started beginning to go by Paul. Get up and go from fan to player. Every single one of us have, have had a moment where we are a fan. We have this illusion that we are following God. We have this illusion that we're doing what God's called us to do. We have this illusion that we are this way and that we're a good person and that we have eternity and all of these things. We have this illusion. And I think that we live in a culture that is big on entertainment. I just want to go to church and be a part of Christianity to be entertained. And I want to have my opinions and I want to have my biases and I want to have my, my own views and somebody else is going to do the player part, and I'm just going to be a fan. Does the Bible ever say we're called to just stay a fan? Does it? I don't think it does. Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it say to stay a fan, to just sit and watch other people do the Lord's work. And here's why I say that. Here's where I can... I can say that nowhere in the Bible, because if you look at Revelations, go to Revelations chapter 3. Revelations chapter 3, verse 15, says this. 3, verse 15. I'm going to read out an amplified version. I know your deeds. They're neither cold. When he says cold, he's saying invigorating and refreshing. We love cold drinks, right? During the summertime in Phoenix, you want something cold. You want something on ice. You don't want anything hot when it's 110 outside. Nor hot. Meaning healing and therapeutic. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, spiritually useless, neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. He's talking about the fans. He's talking about the people who assume they're following God. You think that you're cold and refreshing or you think that you're hot and in and, and uh, therapeutic, but you're not. You're nothing. You're just sitting around being lukewarm. Because you say, I am rich and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold that has been heated red hot and refined by fire, 
so that you may become truly rich and white clothes of righteousness to clothe yourself and healing salve to put on your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That right there speaks against being a fan. Let me, let me give you some background to this. So this is about the church of Laodicea. This, this uh, town, this place, this massive city, this metropolis, it was actually a lot like the U.S., the United States, I would say. Uh, meaning that they were way more um, wealthy than most of the world. Just like the U.S. were way more wealthy than most of the world. They had a banking system. They had a manufacturing system. They had health care. They had health advancements. Everything was going great except for one thing, the water. The aqueduct that they had of bringing water into their city, it would come from some hot springs. And by the time it actually got to them, the water never cooled down, but it wasn't hot anymore. It was miserable. It was bland. It was lukewarm. It was distasteful. That's what this whole passage is about. You've become like your water system. You've become distasteful. You've become bland. And I think in the United States, when I think about us, I think that a lot of Christianity has become like that. Very bland. Very distasteful. Like we struggle with even sharing what we even view in our own opinion because we're afraid of what somebody else might say. And I've had those conversations with people that when we begin to talk about what we believe... We, if we're in a public setting, we almost get into a whisper like somebody just said sex. Like, oh, I'm not supposed to say it out loud. Sorry. It's going to be quiet. Because I'm afraid of what somebody else might think of what I say. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're not really standing for anything. We're not standing up for anything. We're becoming indifferent and half-hearted. Half-heartedness is lukewarmness. That's what it is. And a lot of Christians have settled with being fans. They have. But when I read that, what I love about that passage is that God still gives the church of Laodicea a chance. He gives them hope. He gives them excitement. He says, by the way, you can buy gold for me still. You can have me refine you still. If you repent and give up the lifestyle that you're living, this, this one foot in, one foot out moment, you can still be a player. You can still have an opportunity. You can still have a purpose. You can still have um, me. And I, I really believe that. I believe that every single one of us have the opportunity from this very moment now to stop being a fan but actually get into the game and move onto the field and be a player in the will of God and in the purpose of God. Because he says that you're going to do greater things than I will. Jesus says that. You can move mountains. I would absolutely love to see somebody move a mountain. I doubt myself in that sometimes. I think we all do, don't we? We get like, uh, that's not going to happen. Or the idea, like we were talking about a, a building earlier, uh, a minute ago. And not we're not buying a building or anything. But there is a building close to us. $2.6 million dollars. That sounds crazy, right? Isn't that a mountain, though? Doesn't God say that we can move it? Why not start believing that, that God can drop $2.6 million into our lap as an infant church, 
as a church that's only been around since April, as a church that has a desire for its community and a church that wants to do more than just sit on the bleachers and watch. God can do it. And he says, stop being lukewarm. Stop being bland. Stop being distasteful. Stop sitting back. Stop having this illusion that you're in the game because you're not. You're not. Even Jesus said, hey, there's a lot of people that will be left out. And we'll say, hey, Jesus, we did miracles in your name, and we, we knew who you were. And Jesus is going to say, I have no clue who you are. That's a scary verse. It scares me sometimes. And I pray, and I believe, that every single one of us have the opportunity to really live in this relationship with Jesus that he's called us to, to do, to have, to be in. But we've got to make the step. See, Paul... Paul had an opportunity. He could have just gotten up um, from the ground when he saw this massive light. And he could have just said, hey guys, take me back to Jerusalem. I have a doctor there. Because if you know the rest of the story, he was blind, right? He couldn't see. But he didn't have to go to Damascus. He could, he could have said, you know what? I'm rich and I know people. And guaranteed, I have somebody back in Jerusalem that can hook me up and heal these eyes of mine. He had a choice. Do I want to be a fan still or do I want to be a player? But he doesn't. He doesn't just say, I'm going to just be stuck as a fan. No. And you find out in Galatians what he talks about. He tells his testimony in Galatians 1. He says, you know what? God set me apart. God extended grace to me to move out of who I was into who he was. And that was where I was supposed to be all along. And Jesus takes him and says, hey, you now came to Damascus. And, and there's a moment where God doesn't do anything. Like, he's not healed for three days. It says that he didn't eat and he didn't drink anything for three days. He just sat in a room by himself. He had no technology. He had nothing to distract him. And it doesn't say what he did for the three days. But I really believe that was a moment of comfort that Jesus gave him in that moment. I believe that he was having an incredible conversation with Jesus where he was asking questions. Jesus, okay, you, I haven't believed in you, but are you really real? Did you really... Come back to life. You were dead. And did you come back to life? And, and you, you said that you want to use me. And you say you want to put me onto the field. And you want me to be this player in this game. What does that look like? And I really believe that him and Jesus were coming into that, the, that moment of having a relationship before he was healed. And I believe that he walked away changed from that moment forward. And not just that I believe that. I know that because that's what Paul writes about. And Jesus... Christ has a role for each one of us. And it, going from a fan to a player, it starts with actually accepting him into our lives. That's the first part, right? Because we can't do anything without the Holy Spirit inside of us. We can't. We first have to accept him, and he wants a relationship with us. He wants us to participate. He wants us to move from fan to player. So how do we do that? Because I think that's the last part. How do we go from fan to play? How do we switch roles here? And when I was praying about this, I really felt like this is, there's a verse. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Can you show it, please? There's a stage right there. <laughs> you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Paul continually talks about false prophets, false doctrine. 
He says, hey, watch out for the snakes. Watch out for the people who, who are speaking falsely, who are out for themselves, who are selfish and desire money or wealth or power or whatever. And he, he says to the, this man, Titus, who's on Crete at the moment, who's the leader of the church in Crete. He says, man, you know what you need to teach? Everything that you need to teach is sound doctrine. Paul's all about sound doctrine. Paul knows that due to sound doctrine... That's the way of Christian life. That's the way of relationship with Jesus is having sound doctrine. Well, what is sound doctrine? Sound is meaning strong and firm and healthy, right? That's what sound means, to be solid. Doctrine, beliefs. Beliefs. It's the content of your faith. It's the beliefs. It's the instructions. It's, it's everything that is in God's word. It's what you believe is your doctrine. Everybody has a doctrine. And is your doctrine healthy? Is it solid? Is it firm? Is it, is it built up? Doctrine. Having sound doctrine is the way to go from a fan to a player. It's the, it's the manual. It's the playbook. It's the everything. And I thought about this. Um, you guys like lemonade? Kind of? I remember um, growing up, we did tons of uh, lemonade stands. They used to be popular. Now... You wonder if they're like laced. If something's putting somebody, uh, putting something in it, and giving it somebody, it's a little scary. Those little girls—they're sketchy. <laughs> Ask for a dollar. Who knows what you're getting? No, just kidding. But we used to do lemonade stands all the time, and uh, we would make bank. I remember when we lived in Fullerton, California. We lived on a corner, and we'd always set up the table on the corner. And we would, we would uh, do this all, all day Saturday. I want to say we walked away every single time we did it for about four hours. We walked away with at least 100 bucks. And for a lemonade stand, that was super easy and a lot of money as like an eight-year-old eight to make this kind of money. But the key to having a great lemonade stand is all the recipe, isn't it? you got to have the recipe nailed down to a T. you got to have lemons. And you got to have sugar, and you got to have water. Those are the three primary ingredients to lemonade. I don't know what else you're putting in it. Don't put anything else in it. That's all you need, those, those three ingredients. And you need specific, ripe, amazing lemons, and you need a certain amount of, of sugar, right? You don't want to put a, just a little bit, and you don't want to put too much. You have to have the right amount of cups of sugar. And then for the water, you've got to have pure, cold water to make it all work, don't you? Sound doctrine, according to Paul, is three parts as well. To make the perfect batch of sound doctrine, three parts. Knowledge, understanding, and what's practice. Knowledge, understanding, and practice. Knowledge. Where's the knowledge? The knowledge is right in front of you. It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. That is where the knowledge comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Bible. That's the knowledge. You need to be reading the book. You need to be reading the Bible. You need to get into the Bible. Not just from here, but into here. You need to bring it into your heart. This is God speaking to you and filling you with the knowledge of who he is and how do you stay away from sin and how do you how do you love your neighbor and how do you talk and how do you act and how do you be? Knowledge. But then not just knowledge. You have to have parts understanding, don't you? You have to allow the Holy Spirit to transform that knowledge into something that actually makes sense to you. You have to. You can't have just a little part of understanding. You have to have a good amount of understanding to know. And it has to be Christ-centered, too. That's the other part. 
the, the part of understanding is you've got to always base it on Jesus Christ. Everything of the whole Bible is based on Jesus Christ. You go to the Old Testament, it's all based on and alluding to the message and life of Jesus Christ. It's understanding. And then you wrap it all up with pure, clean, cold, good behavior. Action. You have to have the practice. You have to put it into action. You have to do something with it. That's the water substance. You can have knowledge all day long, and you can understand all day long, and you can interpret all day long, and you can read all day long, and you can have so many opinions all day long. But if you do not put it into action, you're just putting lemon juice and sugar in a bowl or a, a container, and it doesn't actually create anything at all. You have to put it into action. And when you put it into action, it promotes and grows your life and others' lives just as much. You gotta have sound doctrine. That's what that's what Paul, that's what he had to have. His sound doctrine was all an illusion, an idea of the Jewish law. It wasn't bad, but they had tweaked it so much that their traditions overshadowed everything that God had said in the Old Testament. It wasn't sound doctrine. It was an illusion of sound doctrine. To have true, healthy, sound doctrine. To be a player in the game, to move onto the field and actually participate in the life. Jesus says that we're called to have life and life to the fullest. That means eternal life, but it also means to have an amazing life here on this earth. Because the relationship with him starts now, not just in heaven. But you've got to have sound doctrine. You've got to have conversations with him. You've got to allow his Holy Spirit to interpret and under, help you understand everything that you're reading. And you've got to put it into action. Be a, be a player, not a fan. Let me pray. God. Thank you for speaking this morning. And I pray that for us. I pray as we, as we believe in you, Jesus Christ, as you are our Lord and Savior, I pray that we don't just watch. I pray that we don't just sit back. I pray that we don't just um, develop opinions of, of Scripture and opinions of right and wrong and, and biases and, and by the, the gear, the Bibles and all that stuff. I pray that we don't just do that as a fan, but I pray that we move from a fan to somebody who's actually on the team and, and living as you've called us to live and being in your purpose and your will. I pray that for each and every single one of us that we are giving our lives wholly to you to use us in mighty ways. Help us to have knowledge. Help us to, to read your word and experience your knowledge and, and have your Holy Spirit as, as Jesus Christ is at the center to give us understanding. And then help us to put it into practice. Help us to put it into action. I don't want to be a fan. I want to believe that you can do mighty things through me. It's not me doing them, it's all you. Move mountains in our lives. Transform lives. I pray that people see Jesus Christ through us and they give their lives to Jesus. Show us who to invest in, who to invite to church, who to pray for, who to be uh, around. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.